Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Creative Imbalance Podcast. Like always, I am your host, Sean Siriani, and today we have a very special talk I'm going to send your way. This episode was such an honor for me to record. I got to sit down with the man, Henry Glassy, for over 50 years. He is an author, shining a light on all sorts of artists from all over the world, lived in different communities from Ireland to Brazil, and now at the age of 78 years old, he has a movie out called Fieldwork, and it's kind of based around his passion and heart. The movie is a documentary that played this year at the Toronto International Film Festival. That's how I got the chance to sit down with him. But what's cool about it is, even though it has his name in the title and he does all the narration, it is not about him. It's more focused, uh, a visual aspect upon his work. And it shows these amazing artists, sculptures, painters, some who live in poverty, and just kind of shines a light on them and puts them on the big screen. And Henry's spirit is is so awesome. I think I mentioned in the interview that it felt like I'm talking to an older version of myself. His work, his books, is almost a different form of what I do with the creative imbalance. There's some episodes with people you've never heard of. And I don't know, I unconsciously just felt compelled to have them on this platform, and share their story with the small audience I have uh, accumulated. And it's amazing, like, uh, throughout this episode, like, we talk a bit about the movie, but uh, we also talk deeper about the mentality of certain artists, how you can get unconsciously lost into your own creativity, going into, like, almost an altered state. And yeah, in this movie, too, it kind of um, showcases a couple people who are doing certain art forms such as uh, sculptures that are a lost art and haven't even been well known for like over 200 years. It's it's awesome. And overall, it was just an honor to talk one-on-one with Henry. I felt like this episode could have been forever. <laughs> He's basically been doing what I've been doing for over 50 years and I, I kind of got lost in his presence and uh, he had a bit of a limited time, lots of interviews to do. But what what I felt was cool is it seemed like he wanted to keep talking, but the, the publicist kind of cut it off. And that's always a good sign that an interview is going great. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I appreciate the time he took with me in his busy schedule. And around that, um, at the end of this episode, you're going to hear a song. In his lifetime, he's done more than just write books. He's actually recorded a lot of like, unknown artists and um one is the legendary ola bell reed and i think i read the the history i believe it said that he was like the first one the recorder and she ended up turning into like a really big name and uh yeah i have one of those old recordings and a blessing from him to be able to use it i believe the song that you're gonna hear was recorded by him in the 1960s mid 60s and also while i was searching the web for his recordings i found an archive from the Indiana University, which he basically recorded an album slash collection of all these folk artists from Ireland, from tunes to spoken word, and it's absolutely amazing. So around this episode, 
I am going to link you to all this. And yeah, to let you know if you're listening to this on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TalkShoe, or any of your favorite podcast listening apps, each and every one of these episodes has its own homepage at www.girthradio.com. You'll be able to see the trailer to the movie, Henry Glassie Fieldwork, and a link to the archive with all these songs and anything else that we talked about in this episode. And I think that's all I have to say for an intro. But like I said, it's an honor and talking to this man, like I hope with the creative imbalance, this could be my life's work. And as long as I have a voice and my heart still beating, I could put out these stories for the rest of my life. And I'm inspired by Henry Glassie from at the age of 78, still going, still writing books, still being able to showcase people who live for their passions and art forms through film and audio and any other type of medium. I believe it's something so special and his spirit connects with me more than anybody I have talked to on this show. So without further ado, here's Henry Glassie coming at you right now! Radio in session. And all right, Henry, it's a absolute pleasure to meet you. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Yeah, um, watching that movie too. Uh, it was interesting uh, hearing you speak because you were making me realize a lot about myself and my own passions of pursuing things and you're basically in a way an older version of myself because <laughs> well, um, that's a compliment i accept that well why shouldn't i be an older version of yourself it's it's kind of cool to see uh how you pursue different art forms and everything and yeah just to give you a little lowdown on my show it's uh sure, it's uh, i talk to everybody from musicians to performers to authors actors and I'm just, I don't know why, but I'm kind of compelled and beyond interested in the process of how they put together their craft and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. And watching that movie was so cool to kind of hear your thoughts on how you pursue finding people who have that excellence within them. And uh, yeah, I was just wondering, uh, was was there a time when that just really sparked and you wanted to pursue and capture these stories and well i think that's interesting and so that i have to think back probably to my youngest childhood or i suppose that would be a very boring thing to do but basically what i've done as a mature person is i've traveled the world and sought out people who are creative it's just that simple Mm -hmm. the interesting thing about those creative people is that they can be old they can be young they can be men they can be women they can be in country places they can be downtown in big cities so that i would say the kind of simple thing is that they're everywhere and everybody and so the first thing i'd say is creativity is like a birthright of the human being Mm. we're born creative i think the great linguist noam chomsky basically proves that with his grammatical universal ideas we're all creative 
And so that what's really then becomes interesting for somebody like me is to go out and find not only creative people, everybody's creative, that's what I think, Yeah. but to find people who are creating in terms of different conditions, mm-hmm. a kind of existential proposition. That is to find people who are creating despite this or despite that. You understand? So that yes, the, the interesting thing to do is to settle, for me, is to settle into some place without worrying much about it, because there are gonna be creative people there. I don't have to say, I've heard a rumor that these people are creative. They are creative. Yeah, get, yeah. All I gotta do is get there. So if I get any place, the interesting thing for me is to see how in this particular place, wherever it is, rural, urban, eastern, western, how do people accommodate that natural tendency to creativity mm-hmm. to the particular environment they're stuck in? Ah, yes. So that everybody's conditioned, you know, so some conditions are beneficial and some are not. And so everybody's someplace, you're someplace in the world, that's just where you got to be. And so if you're someplace in the world, that place is going to provide you with difficulties and affordances. It's going to help you and harm you both. And so the creative person has got to figure out a way to kind of worm in between what's bad in their place and good in their place and come up with creativity because yeah. they're going to be creative anyway. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like you said, uh, just for an example, uh, one of the scenes in the movie, there was the welder guy. Yeah. And I was getting worried for him because he wasn't wearing a mask. He's just kind of closing <laughs> his eyes, but he's making do with like everything he has. Yeah, and it's like, it's, well, <laughs> well, he's a he's a great case of what this movie is really about. Yeah. I mean, I could say that kind of simply and maybe be may take longer than you want to hear, but anyway, here's the story. A guy named Samuel Rodriguez. We were in 2007, we went into a big market in downtown Salvador da Bahia in northeastern Brazil. Saw this little man made out of iron junk. Mm -hmm. It was just terrific. I mean, who in the hell made that? That's great. So we just snapped it up drop $15 on that little thing and then we had to find this man and we didn't find him for about six months because we'd find people and say they say who, who made this and they say oh some guy named Samuel he uh-huh. comes in sometimes he makes something but we don't know anything about him he's kind of mercurial he lives in the streets sometimes sometimes he sleeps in the market sometimes he just lives on the streets and gathers junk and makes out of this junk terrific stuff or, or inexpensive thing we thought it was magnificent finally we met him he's very shy ah yeah very poor man you know he's had lived a tough life all his teeth are Mm -hmm. gone so we slowly befriended this man not because we were had any kind of weird orientation like we had but here's this that guy's got a tough deal and yet he's still really creative yeah in other words there's a real honest to god artist but he's poor it's lives a tough life so then we befriended him and got to and got to know him better and better and better and better and so then we were really his pal. He's a great, wonderful, warm guy, but sort of shy and mm-hmm, bit, definitely very yeah. delicate. And so then when uh, Pat Collins and his crew wanted to make a movie in Brazil and they came to Brazil then we thought, oh, he, he's got to be in the movie. Yeah, he was like probably one of the first guys you oh, thought of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, we met him in the market. We can, he, you know, he doesn't really have a place to live, but he has a, a nice sister and she has a telephone. We're talking about, you know, she's a high-toned person, got a phone. <laughs> and so we could, we could make a date with her. Oh, and then she Samuel. passes the message. And then he him. meets us in the market. Yeah. 
market is fantastic. I mean, a gigantic place that sells, you know, dead cows and food and stuff. So anyway, we spent time with him and explained he was going to be in the movie. Uh, you know, is he embarrassed? No, he thinks Oh, he got great. excited. It's this time. He's kind of a dancer and kind of elegant. And uh. so so he said, oh, I know what I'm going to make. He's going to make a statue of Oshasi. Oshasi is the a Yoruba god, an uh, African god, mm-hmm. who is among the, the Orishas who were worshipped in uh, northern Brazil. So he made a drawing in Pravina's notebook. Pravina and my wife feel work together. So he, he made the drawing, and uh, then Pat came, and he made exactly that. He oh, had yeah. it all planned out. In other words, this was not something extra for him. This uh-huh. is central to him. Yeah. Well, you can think he's like been doing this his whole life, and oh, then yeah. somebody's coming along, and it's finally like all this hard work is kind of gonna get put into like fruition and you're you're giving him like the biggest blessing putting it on a big screen oh well, he loved it yeah, yeah sure because he's see his father's a blacksmith he and all of his brothers were raised to be blacksmiths so they're professional <laughs> at their craft but that doesn't mean that you're gonna necessarily have a, have a whole lot of money just because he happened to be really good as a blacksmith yeah you know so we're in a favela that is a kind of informal you know maybe slum would be a reasonable word and Pat and the guys there just made this terrific film. And it's a perfect instance of what I'm talking about. Here's a guy born to be an artist, born with the same kind of soul that Leonardo has, mm-hmm. but born into a really bad situation. He's black, he's really poor, lives in the slums. He didn't get to be Leonardo, you know, he doesn't get to you know, make paintings for the king of Milan or something. He's yeah. just out there on the street, but he's great. Mm-hmm. That's the simple thing about him. He's really great. And so he, he was able to make in about half an hour a whole statue, maybe three feet high, of the god of Shasi using completely junk that he'd found on the street. That's so cool to me. It, it yeah. Cool, absolutely. No question. Cool. So that, but that's the kind of thing that we're looking for. I'm yeah. looking for. There's somebody who has t- is born to be a creative person, born to be an artist, but he's made his way through a whole series of difficult channels to get to the point where almost by accident some guys from Ireland show up and make a movie about him and he's this to me the star of the film yeah yeah oh wow that's that's actually a beautiful thing <laughs> and um it's cool you got like such a similar heart in me too because uh, beyond like doing the show I've had some bigger names on this podcast but I also like to shine a light on some unknowns and I'll go to different uh, clubs and bars see some musicians maybe yeah. they'll be the opening act and uh, yeah. sometimes I'll just almost like the moment where you saw that statue like see something so different I can't comprehend it in a way and it's just like I'll be. I'll ask them to talk to me, and then put it on the internet, sure. and kind of like try to share that with people. And yeah, yeah it's cool that you're you're doing that. And well, like, yeah. but I think that we are in the same business. It's mm-hmm. just that you have the medium of the internet, and I have the I have the old-fashioned medium of writing books. Yeah. But basically, I've written twenty books, and they've those books have all been about someone like Samuel. Wow. See, it's somebody that I found. You know. Irish peasants that know great stories and songs, or peasants in Bangladesh who make beautiful statues of the Hindu gods. I mean, whatever it is, I just go someplace and you settle in a place. Basically, all my projects have taken about 10 years. I mean, I've lived for a while. So, 10 years in Ireland, 10 years in Turkey, 10 years in Bangladesh, like that. 
and you stay long enough, you get the lingo down, you mm. begin to meet people, you settle in, you understand their conditions because you're living under them too. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're in Brazil, which Praveen and I, have the last 10 years, actually 12 years, we've been doing field work in Brazil, it's hot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mosquitoes. All the nice Irish guys come to make the movie, they immediately turn violently pink. <laughs> and, you know, mosquito bites all over them, but they're brave and they're good guys. And so that you learn what are the conditions of a particular place, partially learn those conditions by living there t too, but more by talking to people at great length. Yeah, so we yeah. sort of, I mean, it's just exactly what you're doing here, but it's what we do. We interview people for a very long time and know people for years. Mm-hmm and really enjoy, we, we've spent this past summer in Brazil again. We've written one book about Brazil, we've spent, we're heading towards another one. But those are people that we've known for, some of them for 12 years. And there's changes, a couple of people have died since mm -hmm. we've been there, young people have come along, the new generation shows up, the new generation is exciting too. How different are the conditions for the old generation, the young generation? But as long as people are blessed, which if they're human, they are, with creative energies, then the, the people look around, sort of cast their eyes around and find out what, what's around here that can inspire me to make art. And so it could be music. Mm -hmm. You know, lots of, my very first field work was all in the southern mountains of the United States. And so North Carolina and Virginia, what was it about there? What's the art there? banjo picking and fiddling and ballad singing that's what it was and that's what I spent my time doing oh, you know that's great following yeah. that story mm -hmm. and it's I, I love like your patience to get the full spectrum of everything like you said you'd be there a decade and just kind of meeting everybody and just engulfing yourself into whatever the core of their art scene is as yeah. well no that's exactly right the patience is necessary because, for one thing, you've got to know what you're talking about. And for another thing, and it's very important, you've got to learn what maybe you shouldn't say. Yeah, yeah. And so if you come crashing in, you know, as some journalists do, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with what they do. That's just a different thing than what I do. So if you come crashing in and you get, you get some information and then you think it's inter entertaining and you put it in print, my business doesn't allow that. I'm not going to say anything wrong, and I'm going to stay long enough with people to know exactly what things they would harm them if it were published. Mm -hmm, I'm writing yeah. books, that's what I'm mm -hmm. heading for. And I want them to, you know, I want to hand the, the book to them at the end of it. And I always do. I mean, it isn't just that I write it and go away. I come back, it's, inevitable. it's great delight. I come back and I give them a copy of the book. <laughs> I, you know, I, even if they don't have the language they still have it's very important mm -hmm. i'm sort of on a different trail but I, oh I'm it's okay yeah, yeah. Like this. so so one of the things when you when uh i've, I've learned over all these years that you you can you need to say what's tr true mm -hmm. obviously and you can't say certain things that would be harmful to people it's you know if you're writing about the President of the United States, as many harmful things as you want to say, you should say them because the guy's an awful person. Yeah. <laughs> but, for, but for people that are not trying to be President of the United States, they're just living their own lives, they're working as, you know, who knows, bagging groceries at Kroger's, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's not fair to intrude in their lives and say harmful things about them. Mm. So one of the things you've got to do is be sure you're not being harmful. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons for patience. 
The other one is it sometimes takes a long time to really understand the complexity of what they're doing. Frequently yeah, you can yeah. look at people and say, that's not too complicated. Mm -hmm. Spend long enough time and it's really complicated. Yeah. I mean, the whole of the human genius is going to spill out into whatever they're doing. Yeah, I even sometimes I'll, I'll be talking to some like artists who are so true to what they're doing to, to the point where they almost don't even fully understand it. There's so many layers. It's almost like they're compelled, they're possessed to do this, whether it's make a song, write a comedy bit, uh -huh. or write a book or whatever. Yeah. And that always interests me, that type of energy and how, um, I don't know, they say when you're a kid, like everybody has that. And it seems like sometimes later in life, uh, into adulthood, people lose that as well. Um, I think that's true. Yeah, I yeah. That's true. And they also, I mean, I think you've, you've already said it, but I would agree with it they forget and so if you're trying to reconstitute their course to creative excellence they really can't just say it to you mm -hmm. what you've got to do is just be there and a great deal of that is uh, just being attentive uh, again here's another kind of digression but it's right you know when you talk to the kind of people that we've talked to and you know five different continents they all pretty much the same thing say the same thing about learning really nobody taught them yeah yeah they're happy to credit somebody as having been a model you know i'm mm -hmm. a musician and i really admired you know i'm a banjo picker and i love earl scruggs you know that, yeah. that doesn't mean earl scruggs reached out and taught it means that earl scruggs provided a good model for banjo picking and you're a banjo picker mm -hmm. so it, it's almost nobody Said, thinks that everything that they do was taught to them. A great potter, Algonorio, that I knew really well at Hagi, Japan, said, only the simple things can be taught. Mm. The hard things you have to teach yourself. Yeah, yeah. So some musician, you, somebody else can teach you the scales, mm -hmm. but to make music out of those scales... Yeah, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that has to be your own, your own work. And so one of the things that it, about that, this is about patience, is it takes a long time because people can't quite say it. They shouldn't be able to say it because they can't go all the way back to their childhood. They don't even want to. Yeah. But if you hang out long enough and if you watch them in, uh, interacting, let's say one musician with other musicians, slowly but surely you're picking up how it happened. Mm -hmm. And then what do you do? Test it back with them. That's kind of the, pr that's the procedure. So I don't usually come to, I'm not like not like a journalist. I don't come to somebody to say, tell me how you learn. But it's a ridiculous question. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But yeah. if I spend a long time with them, I can say, now, it seems to me that you probably would have learned like this. That's a completely different kind of question. Mm -hmm. And then you open up a chance for somebody to basically create a verbal essay yeah. about the process of learning. And a lot of people could do that. Yeah. Do you ever realize sometimes when you ask them that question after taking time to understand it, maybe you'll see something that they didn't know and they're almost like oh yeah i never oh, yeah, thought of it right. that way yeah exactly right <laughs> yeah yeah it happens all the time <laughs> because most of that i mean if any you know any great creativity is happening to a great extent unconsciously yeah yeah and so that it has to be picked up yeah you, know, you have to sort of pick it up and offer it back to them and say you know there's sort of little tests and it i, I even go farther and say it it isn't when they say, oh yes, 
it's usually they just say, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, so there isn't even particularly much excitement, but at last the, you know, that is the truth. Oh, yeah, well, who doesn't think that? Yeah, yeah, because it's so much a part of them. It's like they're not overthinking it, too. And yeah, yeah, it's interesting, too, because sometimes like these creatives, they can be so much in their own head about everything. And you're kind of looking at their things from the third person. And like, I don't know, they can learn from you being around as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. There's no question that that they can learn from you, too. But but it's mostly a matter, I mean, in my idea, but what, what I'm doing is simply putting what they already know or already think into such a format that a third person can get it. Because the person about whom I'm writing may not even be all that interested in that kind of thing, but it's very important for me to get... I'm trying to make the world understand... I stop and say, I'm mostly talking about poor people. I'm Mm -hmm. mostly talking about dark people. I'm mostly talking about people that the readers of books are already prejudiced against, in fact. And so that my argument needs to be a positive argument, it seems to me, on behalf of the unwritten and beleaguered people of the world, the kind of despised people of the world to a great extent. And so that's, to them, not very exciting, but for me, pretty exciting. What, what, <laughs> yeah. what, what I want to do is just rattle the cage of a lot of uh, bourgeois folks that just have kind of bad attitudes. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know... You know, upset those attitudes, not by saying, "Oh, we should we should be sympathetic towards these people." Quite the opposite. I think we ought to be blown away by how damn good they are. Ah, yeah, I agree. See, Uh, that's a completely different argument. So, my Mm -hmm. argument is to say these people are not inferior to you. Yeah, poor Samuel, the guy we were talking about, it's a perfect example. Guys on the street, you know, looks pretty poor, kind of dirty shirt. He's exactly the guy you look down on him, but. Suppose you tried to make a, a Yoruba god out of junk. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't. Great. It's like next level genius sometimes, Absolutely. and they're not getting the credit for That's it as exactly well. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, one thing it's cool like to hear, like kind of going back to what you were talking about, uh, like just your whole patience process. I notice in the film Fieldwork, which is at TIFF right now. Um, even the editing and the pace of the movie seem just kind of. Uh, I don't know just uh, very like uh, paying attention to what the artist is doing it's not like a quick cut of mm-hmm. okay here's the beginning piece and here's the finished product like you spent a lot of time just like even for example just showing somebody just carving a piece of wood or just and uh, as a viewer you don't know really know where it's going but it's just yeah it's kind of like uh i don't know um this sucks you in like where's what's going to happen out of this this clay or whatever yeah, and, yeah. well i hope it sucks yeah. people in but you understand that i didn't make that movie pat collins made that movie. oh okay pat, yeah <laughs> everything that you're talking about is something that to pat's credit not mine all right all right yeah but but i think that the right thing to do is to say that he and i understand the world in pretty much the same way Mm -hmm. i think that if i i I couldn't i couldn't make a film it wouldn't be much good but if i could make a film i think it would look like pat's film because i have written a whole lot of books and in and when I'm writing in my books, I do exactly the same thing that Pat does in the film. I just will tell the reader a little bit more than that reader wants. You know, if you don't want to really know how this potter makes a pot or how this weaver weaves a, a carpet, 
too bad for you because I'm going to tell you. Now, you <laughs> can put the book down. You can turn your eye away. You don't have to watch the film at all. Yeah. But I'm not going to be the one who is, who is dishonored mm -hmm. the artists that I'm talking about. I'm going to honor the artists by allowing them to show what they do, say what they want to say. That's my job. So I'd, I'd say a, a little thing about the, the film because I think the film is really pretty good. And in fact, that's a stupid thing to say. It's very good. But it's very good because of Pat. And Pat had heard me talk on the radio in Ireland mm -hmm. and thought that maybe I would be an interesting guy to be involved with him in a film. Ah, okay. It, it took a while for me to agree because I didn't particularly want to be in a film. Yeah, it's, it's not, a, not your main not, medium. You not know. a desire that I have. I really like to do field work. I like to go places. I like to settle in. I like to really get to know the people. I like to write books about it. That's what I do. It's my great pleasure. But then I saw a film that Pat made called Song of Granite. Song of Granite is about an uh, Irish traditional singer called Joe Heaney. I actually knew Joe Heaney. And it's, it's fictionalized, but it's very good. It allows you to get a good feel for this Joe Heaney. So I watched this film. There are two things in it. There's one passage in which uh, little Joe was walking along the a rocky coast, very slow, very patient. There's another time when a woman is singing a song, the Galway Shawl, in a bar. He let her sing the whole song. And I said, cool. <laughs> this guy's got the same kind of patience that I need to have to do my work. I can work with Pat Collins. It was seeing that film, and so then I, the next time Pat and I met in Dublin, I go to Ireland all the time, is I said, let's do this. It's his film, though. But the point is that his slow footage, maybe a little bit slower than you think it's going to ought to be. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not jumping around. He only uses one camera as yeah, a kind yeah. of principle. He, so there's nothing to cut in. They're not different views that are sliced up and so on. He's letting real time be suggested. So the film begins with Josalvo Santana, and Josalvo takes about two days to make a statue. They're really amazing, but they're and they're great. It takes two days. Well, the film is probably about 12 or 14 minutes. Yeah. That's a rep but it's a representation of two days, and you get enough slow time mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. enough. There's one quick flash in the middle where the screen goes dark and there's kids playing soccer and the sun is going down and then you have a next day. So you know that it takes two, two days. You know that it takes a long time. You get a real good sense of how the salvo works, but it's a representation. Yeah, definitely. You know, we're like are talking about real time, mm -hmm. but it's close enough for anybody to begin to say, this is taking a long time. Well, it does take a long time to do that. Yeah, it's almost like represents the artist, you know? You're like kind of uh, feeling like, it's like a simulation of being in their shoes for a moment or yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah, and you really can in the filming, and the, the, the footage is very close. The images yeah, are very yeah. close. You can see the hands, you can see Josalvo's face, you can see his, his, the, atten the attention, you can hear. I think it's great that the film, uh, the sound man was Bob Brennan. And uh, it's just the sound is great because you hear all the stuff going out in the street and, you know, people are talking and little kids Yeah, I thought that was cool. You kind of get the community. Crying. Yeah, <laughs> but, but Jose, he's bearing down. He's absolutely <laughs> concentrated on that thing. And, you know, he's giving it everything he has so that he's not hearing that stuff out in the street. We are, but it, it's reminding us how concentrated he is. So he goes mm -hmm. into a kind of, which creativity entails, 
he goes into a kind of altered state. Ah, yeah. It's an altered state of concentration. And that altered state of concentration is one that he can't be... He can't be deflected from. He can't worry about something else. He can't worry about the fact that his baby is crying. At this moment, that's his wife's job. Mm-hmm. Fix that baby, because me, I'm making a statue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is the statue of the Queen of Heaven. Come on. Yeah, he's job. in the zone, you know. Yeah, he's in the zone. <laughs> but that's right, you know, or, or you know, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, another thing I thought was really interesting to... Uh, I, I wish I remembered the guy's name uh, in the film, but uh, he kind of got inspiration from going to church a lot. But yeah. instead of um, listening to the scriptures or whatever, he was just looking around at all the different statues yeah. and like, oh, this is incredible. Like, how is this made? And like, that's finally exactly right. going to a point in his life where he got hands on with it, too. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah. This is about Hosus, and he, he's... Uh, it's a simple, interesting thing to say about Edgeval is he's a sculptor as good as the great 18th century Baroque sculptors. <laughs> but nobody has a category for such a person. That is, if you're going to be alive today and you're going to make art, you're either going to make stuff for New York galleries that rich people buy, or maybe you're a folk artist. But this guy is a tremendously sophisticated person, but he's perfectly sophisticated in a style that's been out of style for 200 years. Yeah, it's so cool. But that's the, exactly the right thing for churches because he can make, what happens is, uh, you know, you're in the tropics. There's termites, mm-hmm. you know, and they eat those statues. They're also, those things are valuable on the market and so that people will, you know, it's like people in the Middle East will steal carpets out of a mosque because they're worth something and people will steal these statues and so that he needs... Those statues eaten by termites or stolen have to be replaced. Val can do it. He can just be like a sculptor from 1760 making a perfect 1760 statue. <laughs> yeah, and he can so do cool. it. But, the re- but what you're remembering is his own story, which is he was, fr- he's from, he was born on a farm in northern Brazil, a place called Serra. <laughs> and, you know, he loved to go to church. And his mother and father thought, oh, he's a very religious little boy. He's going to grow up to be a priest. Not a bit. He grew up to be an artist. He was knocked out by the statues. <laughs> yeah, he just <laughs> wants to keep going and seeing the architecture. He, he, got in, he got into the church and he was looking at the statues. He'd stand in wonder in front of them. And they think, oh, such a saintly little boy. He's looking and saying, how in the world could anybody make a little hand just like that little hand or how could they make a face or a nose my god how could you make a nose like the mm-hmm. eyes yeah and then he com- figures it out he too. Was completely yeah. blown away by that and then as soon as he got it old enough he dropped out of school a fairly standard pattern for great artists to drop out of school he dropped out of school and just got wood and started carving wow and then yeah. he found a an old-time master that made you know, old saints, and he worked everything that he could from that man for about a year, and they just went off on his own, and he just started making saints and making saints, and he was basically looking for the the approval of priests and monks and so on who understood those and were giving him guidance to uh, attributes, not to oh. art. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah, so he wanted to do justice to how yeah. they're supposed to be depicted. and represent in different uh-huh. periods and different styles, so oh, they could okay. be neoclassical, they could be Baroque, they could be Rococo. So he learned all that, he became a great scholar. No education, almost none. 
but he just taught himself but that was it he went to church and what he liked about the church was the statues <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's so cool and um yeah so like uh you've been following these types of people for years and years almost like dedicating your life to it too oh i think uh, so yeah what do you know what keeps you still going or is this like the question <laughs> is just what i do you know like well do you know some to some extent uh, that is like other uh, in that way it's kind of like other creative people why do you do it you just keep on doing it this is what i do it's sort of it becomes you could say identity but i think it's a kind of a cheesy way to say it it's mm -hmm. some, something inside it's not like i'm trying to develop an identity beyond myself that i'm trying to act like that identity yeah it's just that this is what i do and i enjoy it and so that you you turn to what brings you pleasure and what brings me the greatest pleasure I mean I taught in the university for 43 years and I really enjoyed teaching <laughs> I really liked it but what I really love getting away from the university getting out with the people living with the people that's what I really like and so that you know this summer we were out and away and back in Brazil and what it is that I'm learning. I can learn a lot in the university, I can learn a lot in libraries, but I learn a whole lot more by spending time with people that I don't know. So I, I show up, maybe I don't know what their language is, maybe I don't know what their religion is, I don't know all those kind of things, and give me enough time, I'll know all those things. Mm -hmm. it, it, they, maybe the perfect instance of, of that without without being an absolute bore is, is that I, I I'd spent 10 years in Ireland and I'd just written a, sort of the great book that I could write about Ireland and uh, then I was sort of empty and I was invited to give lectures in schools of architecture in Turkey and I didn't really know where Turkey was but it sounded you know it's this is exotic it's terrific. yeah let's go <laughs> so a plane ticket to Turkey just give a few lectures at Turkish schools of architecture no problem so I went and I just fell in love like that, just like that, oh, with so everything cool. that was about the countryside of Turkey and the big city, too. I love the big city of Istanbul. I mean, it was so vibrant and alive and crazy and exciting. And there was so much. The, the things that were that knocked me out instantaneously about it were weaving and pottery. Mm -hmm. I said, I got to So, oh, man, I went home and I bought a book about how to teach yourself Turkish. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brag. But I worked and worked and worked on that book and I went back and I went back and I went back and I went back to the point that, uh, you know, 12 years later, I'd be gotten really good at speaking Turkish and I'd gotten really good at the countryside and I'd read the Quran and I'd gotten used wow, to everything yeah. that was going on in Turkey and I just I completely became another person for a decade. That's kind of, that's what you do. Mm -hmm. it's, there's there's a motivation there are other motivations i mean certainly one of them wasn't to, just that i thought the art was great but i also knew that my nation was involved in a war against islam which it should have had nothing to do with it was just i think the kind of evil that the united states was perpetrating and it seemed to me that i could do something good by writing a, maybe no one would care but i could write a book about regular muslim people and that's what I did. Just regular, everyday Muslim folks. What are they like? They're like wonderful, but everybody's wonderful when you get to know them. Yeah. yeah. But they, you know, they just were hardworking and direct and honest and extremely talented as artists in several different fields. Calligraphy. I'd never even thought about calligraphy as an art, but in Turkey, you're going to be told that's really a great, a very high art. Weaving 
pottery, blacksmithing, all that stuff's there. All you got to do is, you know, spend 10 or 12 years, you know, <laughs> used to it. Yeah. But that's sort of the goal, because mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a chastening of the self. You kind of drive yourself into the, what would be the most difficult thing, instead of trying to know what you already know, to mm -hmm. know something you really don't know. Here's a different language you don't know. Here's a whole holy book you don't know, a whole set of religious principles you don't understand. These get to spend the, all these time with these women that be, weave these fantastically beautiful carpets out on the mountainside, you know, it's just wonderful. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, I was, that's it. yeah, I was told we got to wrap this up. I got the cue about five minutes ago, but I want to say, I feel like I could talk to you forever. You're such a soothing presence. And uh, just want to thank you for your life's work. I'm going to go back and like read some of your stuff. Cause uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an, I'm a new fan. I just uh, well, found out about you from this movie coming out and everything. So yeah, well, yeah. The, book, the books aren't bad. I really am perfectly happy about it, but I think that this film that, that Pat Collins made, called Field Work is really wonderful. And the, the delight, it was such a delight working with Pat on this film. the pool. 